Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack, and my co-host, Stephen Tall. Although obviously Stephen should be known as softly spoken Stephen Tall because we've had some lovely feedback uh, to listeners of previ- from listeners of previous episodes. And almost all of the feedback is, we love the podcast, but Stephen, why are you so quiet? I'm so shy and nervous and timid a creature that I'm sorry, my voice comes across far too sotto voce, whereas uh, Mark... Uh, barks into uh, into the microphone. Yeah, so Apparently, that's the way to get heard. And if you could see us at the moment, you would see the microphone is basically inside Stephen Tall's mouth I, while I am sat yeah. ten meters away. Yeah. So hopefully, we've got it right this time. Also, it is your birthday today, Stephen. It is my birthday. Can I thank you, Mark, for suggesting today as the day to do the podcast? Listeners, we record it normally at about eight o'clock in the morning, and that means I get up at five forty. Uh, in order to get the train and uh, get to our podcast studio. Uh, it's a very glamorous studio in time. So uh, thank you for welcoming my can birthday. I, can I point out, technically, I offered you two different dates, and you chose your birthday. I know. Well, I, I, it it felt fact, like a good way 20th to, century, old style. It felt old, like a good way to celebrate it. <laughs> now, the other, the other thing, I guess, about this episode is, pr- listeners to previous episodes will know, the basic dynamic is Stephen tries to mention Brexit. Yep. I refuse to mention Brexit. Three-quarters of the way through, Stephen tricks me, and we end up talking about Brexit. And I was all ready to concede that this time, just maybe, we might need to talk about Brexit. But then, hooray, saved by Vince Cable. You, uh, this was a deal, wasn't it? You did a deal with Vince that he would announce that he was going to stand down from the Lib Dem leadership just in order to spike my Brexit guns that we can once again put off for the fifth episode discussing perhaps the Excellent. most important <laughs> policy um, uh, minefield of our entire lifetimes. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so we won't talk about Brexit again unless I can actually try and insert it into discussions yeah. about Lib Dem Spring Conference and such matters. So those of you who don't follow British politics excessively closely may have slightly missed the news, I guess, towards the end of last week, that Vince Cable announced he will be standing down as Liberal Democrat leader uh, shortly after the May local elections, unless meaningful votes seven in the meantime results in a <laughs> snap seven. general election. <laughs> Um, so, obvious question to ask is, what do we make of Vince's time as party leader? Yeah, it's, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because I mean, I've, I've always been a Vince fan, and uh, some of my fondest memories of Lib Dem Conference are the uh, kind of TED-style tutorials that Vince <laughs> would do, where he would stand in front of a PowerPoint projection of slides of the economy and talk us through them, and, and do so in a really kind of uh, compelling way. So I've always been a fan of his. Um, I think he's one of those interesting people who spans that um, centre-left um, through to promotion of free enterprise. Uh, he managed to straddle that really uh, cleverly. Some, uh, he did that, I think, during his time as a coalition minister at the, uh, as business secretary as well. Um, I guess the reason he got elected the Dem leader, other than the fact that no one else was willing to stand... A minor, a minor criteria. <laughs> uh, so, kind of by default, but uh, would probably have won anyway, I suppose, is that he had that credibility and that gravitas that, uh, I guess, in the fat pope, thin pope way of electing leaders meant that he was the kind of natural successor to Tim Farron, uh, chirpy-chappy kind of um, leadership style. But also that sense that you know we are living in um, incredibly uh, dramatic times, and that having a voice who can get a ten past eight slot on the BBC Radio Four Today programme is something that the party needed. And I mean, to an extent, that's worked. But has it really? I don't know. So I, I mean, if you were asked Mark to list Vince's top three achievements, 
um, what would they be? Well, top four, obviously, because number one is stopping you talking about Brexit. <laughs> um, I, th- I think you're right. It's, it, it, it's slightly hard to judge his time as leader because it's also worth bearing in mind he was leader uh, during a period in which the party had very few MPs. But also, and this is, you know, that applied to Tim Farron as well, but also what was slightly different uh, for all of Vince's le- time as leader is the big political issue of the day, Brexit, was one on which the Liberal Democrats have a distinctive position, but are not, say, the key swing vote when it comes to the crunch votes in Parliament, etc. So I think whoever was leader, the Liberal Democrats would have always had a real struggle not to be seen as marginal yeah. uh, in the last couple of years. And, yeah, there are some things that have gone reasonably well. Um, I mean, the party's membership hasn't collapsed, uh, which might seem a slightly <laughs> backhanded way of putting it. But classically, the number one achievement? <laughs> well, but classically, when, you know, when any political party, with Lib Dems in particular, get a whole wave of new members, a huge proportion of them drop out after one year when their first renewal comes round. And, in fact, Liberal Democrat membership is still there or thereabouts at 100,000. Is that thanks to Vince or is that thanks to direct debits making it much harder to cancel? Um, it, direct debits may be a factor in part, <laughs> but, but I think there is a sense of actually the party's grassroots organisation has continued to recover. Its recovery has been maybe not as fast as everyone would have liked. It has maybe been a little bit patchy. But you know, membership, you know, will, the membership figure when he sort of steps down as leader will be a very healthy membership figure compared to the last few mm-hmm. years. We gained seats in the last May local elections. Mm-hmm. It looks yep. like we'll gain quite a lot of seats probably at this May's local elections. Yes, and the last elections were, what, the most successful in 14 years for the Liberal Democrats? Um, depending on how you count, but yes, okay. that is, that is one... the party line. That is one legitimate... In fact, I shouldn't knock that way of counting because I remember I worked it out and then emailed <laughs> it over to someone in the press office. But yeah, that, yeah the, the last set of local elections were pretty good, uh, in particular in the end when all the numbers came through, Lib Dems made more net gains than Labour. Um, and it looks like this year, again, there'll, there'll be even more net Lib Dem gains. So there are definitely some good things. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say there's also been a little bit of a sense of, dare I adapt a phraseology of Donald Trump, <laughs> but <laughs> when he re- w- won the Republican nomination for presidency and Jeb Bush was seen as one of his big rivals during that contest, uh, he coined the phrase a sort of low wattage Bush. And I think it is fair to say that probably Vince Cable at times has not come over as quite as sort of energetic in a Paddy Ashdown-like sense as would have maybe suited the political times. Now, in a way, uh, MPs at least knew when they nominated him and decided not to run against him that that is, you know, he's not that ebullient striding through through muddy fields and leaping over a fence Paddy-style leader. But I think that is a is a is a fair fair criticism. I think there's also behind the scenes been a lot of issues about how the parties run, uh, without sort of giving away any uh, any state secrets, as it were. You know, a lot of people will have seen the news about uh, around a third of the party staff having to be laid off last year because of problems mm. with the party's finances. And I think broadly speaking, those are not sort of Vince's fault, as it yeah. were. But definitely, I think he became leader at a time that was quite challenging in terms of the state of the party's organisation. All of which, I guess adds up to maybe a long list of excuses to not view, you know, not view the party's poll ratings at the end of his leadership too harshly. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, you know, any leader in, in a sense does in part take responsibility for the fact that the, they, you know, their party was low in their leadership ratings at the beginning of their leadership and looks like the party will end Vince's leadership a little bit higher in the polls, probably on average maybe one or two points higher, depending on how the rest of the next few weeks go, but 
barring something amazing in the next few weeks, still sort of there or thereabouts at getting back into double figures consistently. So he'll be sort of viewed, I guess, then as a reasonably steady hand on the tiller, was able to uh, get his points across, um, but won't really stand in the pantheon of great liberal leaders who've transformed the party. Yeah. I, think, I, I think three things will really affect how he ends up being seen, which haven't yet happened. So one is the May local elections. Mm-hmm. The better they are, the more the picture will be. Oh, yeah, he did get the party back on the right road. Look, yeah. you know, he had two years of good local election results. Number two is who gets elected as the next leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in particular, if it is uh, the younger the new leader is and the less experienced the new leader is, the better the, well, Vince Cable was a necessary sort of interregnum yeah, yeah. until this new talent could come through yeah. type argument will be. And the third thing is actually what happens with the independent group, because I think if the independent group really takes off and if, as a result, the Liberal Democrats in some way suffer or become endangered, there will probably be a greater sense of why didn't the party progress more in the last two years. But if, on the other hand, the Liberal Democrats do prosper under a new leader, that critique will fall by the wayside. So I, I think probably how people will view his leadership will be a lot clearer, but also possibly fairly different by, let's say, December than it yeah. is necessarily today. And I guess one of the uh, sort of dominating themes, if you're a Lib Dem anyway, and I've seen it from the inside, is um, the reforms he's been trying to introduce mm. um, in terms of making it easier to become affiliated to the party, a party supporter, without becoming a party a member, member and giving people a kind of halfway house yeah. uh, that makes them feel comfortable. And that's, I guess, uh, understandably not got very much traction um, beyond um, Lib Dem navel-gazing circles, but I suppose if that supporter network, as it's known, becomes, uh, does take off and become part of a, uh, a wider mm, movement, absolutely, yeah. then that also might be viewed as something that One was of his quite boring and uh, mundane at the time, but as something that's, uh, that's important. Quite boring. Did you not hear my speech at conference I, on well, the topic, Stephen? I was going to move it, because obviously <laughs> uh, you have been someone who's championed this uh, idea of a supporter mm. network, one of the people who um, first proposed it. I mean, obviously it's been, uh, you know, the ideas um, around in many circles and lots of organisations mm. use it to one degree or another, but it's not been championed mm. within the Lib Dems mm. before, and you have been the person putting it forward, mm. and it's been just controversial amongst mm. some people who would say, mm. well, you know, if if you can just become a supporter and get most of the benefits uh, of membership, mm. um, why would anyone bother just mm. to become a member? Yeah. So, I mean, did that argument get surfaced at conference? And yeah, what so, I mean, to start, uh, for anyone who who uh, didn't follow what happened at conference or hasn't caught up with what happened at conference in detail yet, the support, the idea of creating a registered supporter scheme, that got voted through. The two more controversial elements within that about allowing non-MPs to stand for leader and allowing supporters as well as members to vote for leader, those two got rejected. Um, I mean, myself, I'm quite happy with the package that we voted through. If you look at what David Howarth and I wrote in our pamphlet in 2015, where, amongst other things, we talked about this idea, actually what the party's now voted for is remarkably similar to what David and I Mm -hmm. were talking about several years ago. So I'm obviously very happy with that outcome. And the key element to it is it's very understandable that people got very focused on the procedural details. 
because things like who gets to vote for leader is pretty important. Especially after the Labour leadership Ex contest. Yeah. Although, quick little fact check, always worth remembering, Jeremy Corbyn won as Labour leader amongst ordinary Labour Party yep. members. So yes. even if Labour had had no reforms, he would still be Labour leader. Anyway, but back to the Lib Dems. Um, <laughs> but one of the points made was that in the last, mm. uh, not the last, but one uh, Lib Dem leadership mm. contest, the Nick Clegg Chris mm. Hume contest, it was knife edge mm. result and there was even some controversy about whether late votes would have swung it. Has somebody way. written a great counterfactual history chapter on, on that by any chance? I, uh, yeah, well, I, I, yeah, tell us about it, Mark. Um, <laughs> Should we move on? Should we move on? I've not plugged a book yet. You've not yet mentioned Brexit. It's, uh, <laughs> it's an so uneasy way, piece we have here. So, the, so the, that kind of um, thing that members hold sacred yeah. that they get to decide yeah. who leads the party is something that did become a focus mm. of criticism that you know, the last thing that the Lib Dems can afford to be is subject to the kind of entryism, allegations of mm. entryism, I should say, um, that the Labour Party yep. faced when Jeremy Corbyn did sweep to power, though, as you say, he, he won in mm. all sections of the membership, though yep. obviously not the parliamentary membership. Yep. Um, so I, 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 I guess that the, the thing for me is that if you look at how other organisations operate, it's very common to have multiple different ways that people can be involved in them. Um, and sometimes it's ex something that's explicit with different tiers of, say, membership or different tiers of participation. Sometimes it's it's more implicit where you have people who regularly take part in campaigns or who become donors or who become members with formal voting rights, mm -hmm. etc. And yep. I think it's really useful for us as a party to have multiple tiers of involvement. And you know, one of the points I made in my speech on Saturday was that you know, many of us in the hall know that, you know, and have often spoken to that regular local leaflet deliverer who's not a member, mm -hmm. they're clearly committed to the party because they are regularly delivering leaflets. But however many times I ask them, they just don't join. Yeah. Um, and and, and, and I, I, I understand that some of my colleagues find it maybe a little bit hard intellectually to understand quite why would somebody put all this effort in for an organisation but not, not, not want to join it. The reality, though, is there are loads of people like that. Yeah. So I mean, the, the this is about how do we involve such people more? Yeah, exactly. How do we build yeah, up a bigger I, network it of seems, uh, it, it seemed odd to me, the kind of counter-argument, because I mean, the, the analogy I think of is um, how I got to be a New Statesman subscriber, which was that I signed up for a mm. couple of their emails. Um, I eventually exhausted the number of free articles I was allowed to view. Um, there were a couple of essays that were behind the paywall. And eventually I succumbed because mm. they kept on showing me that they had good content that I needed to be able to access. And eventually I said, OK, fine, you can have my mm. £15 a yep. quarter or whatever it is to subscribe. But it was only as a result of being mm. kept constantly in touch. And I guess for lots of Lib Dem members who join for different reasons, some vote because they are uh, particularly passionate about local issues and therefore getting involved in their local party and being able to point at potholes in the road and say that they've got them fixed is an important part of how they find their political mm. identity. But we also know that for other people that is not actually what gets them out of bed in the morning to deliver mm. a leaflet. It is the thought that they are in some way part of a wider liberal mm. internationalist movement that, uh, and this is their particular expression uh, of, that, uh, of that identity for them. So people join for local and national reasons and sometimes a combination of the two and you need to have different ways of keeping contact and realistically the Lib Dems can't rely on local parties always keeping in touch about national issues as we would like, just as obviously national the national party isn't able to tap into the local issues in the way that a local party will. So you need to have a reliable communication mechanism in place to mean that the needs of different types of members are catered to. That's my... No, that's absolutely. My and, and one of the sort of the really important administrative details about how this scheme is going to operate is that the data about who is a registered supporter 
will be stored in the same system that we use for storing information about who is a member. Now, those uh, any membership secretaries listening mm-hmm. may slightly wince because that is a system that's had some technical, <laughs> some severe, in fact, IT problems at the tail end of last year. But the reason for doing that is exactly that point, that we need to make sure that people who are best placed to invite and involve people in, say, a local event have access to the supporters list, just as people who are best placed to, let's say, let supporters know about the new party political broadcast the party has coming up on national TV are have access to yeah. that data. Yeah. So one of the things that I hope will be really successful about this scheme is it's something that isn't just an email list for Party HQ, it's actually a network of people that all different parts of the party can access and make use of. And also presumably get access to better data about what motivates, you know, who is clicking on which links and therefore uh, who is actually motivated by particular issues can be part of the uh, building up a much better idea of uh, who, uh, who our members are and um, what actually interests them most. Of course, there was one mm. other proposal that's probably the best known mm. amongst them, which was um, that uh, there was a proposal that non-MPs mm. could stand to be party leader uh, and there was much kind of, you know, uh, I was about to say tabloid, that's that's obviously not true. There was a couple of small columns in Broadchin newspapers uh, set touting Gina Miller as yeah. the next Lib Dem leader or mm. another um, Remain backing celebrity. Uh, you know, this is the Lib Dems trying to desperately um, get some of the reflected glory yeah. of Justin Trudeau and just, you yeah. know, bring in someone who has a... Um, a position, and that that didn't get through uh, the the conference vote, did it? Correct, um, and it did result though in the uh, slightly amusing scene of Liberal Reform, who are one of these party ginger groups that is normally all against regulation and saying just because you don't like something you shouldn't ban it. Uh, <laughs> Liberal Reform's chair argued, "Oh, it'd be really bad to have a non-MP as leader, therefore we must ban it, and it mustn't be allowed." Yeah, and I, I, didn't, I didn't really see the problem in that I could Im- the only person I could really imagine would be someone like Kirsty Williams, mm. who uh, has been Welsh Lib Dem mm. leader, is the uh, executive member in, in the Welsh mm. cabinet for education and therefore has some standings and credibility. Mm. And I could imagine in a scenario in which the Lib Dems were uh, wiped out in Parliament mm. or uh, just didn't have anyone who wanted mm. to come forward as leader, that she could be someone who mm. would be a viable, viable yes. candidate. And in fact, it's very unlikely, yeah. really, that anyone would have the standing and profile to to win if they did godspeed to them yeah. and you know if the first minister in scotland was a liberal democrat yeah, yeah, yeah. or indeed yeah. maybe if the directly elected mayor of london was a liberal democrat like you i i struggle slightly to think of a circumstance in which i would want to vote for a non-mp mm-hmm. as leader but um unlike liberal reform i do actually <laughs> believe that it's a bad idea to ban things just for not liking them and it seemed to me sensible to be permissive but conference i think probably actually that vote required a two-thirds majority and it very clearly didn't get a two-thirds majority i think probably if it had required a simple majority i think we would have gone to a counted vote and Mm -hmm. it might just have snuck through it did look to me like it was a sort of 52 48 type situation in the hall and that never leads and that never leads to trouble although it's worth digressing slightly a to praise jeff payne who chaired that conference Mm -hmm. session and steered conference without any confusion through a sequence of seven votes which had interdependencies and varying majorities required, either simple or two-thirds. So, so Jeff did a the brilliant House job. Is looking for a new exactly. Speaker, Jeff is, Jeff right. is your man. Um, and, the, and, you know, we plan these things carefully. So this segues us nicely on to the leadership contest mm. to come. So we now know that a non-MP can't stand. Uh, it seems likely from reading the rooms um, and indeed your blog that um, there are three yep. likely candidates to emerge. Um, so they are Joe Swinson, Leila Moran, 
and uh, Ed Davey. Edward Davey. Edward Davey. He's he rebranded Edward himself. Davey. He, he, I'm sure he, he rebranded at one point as Ed <laughs> to make him seem more accessible and friendly. And Anyway, um, so those appear to be the three mm. uh, of our 11 MPs um, who are standing, uh, two of them having been uh, leader already. Yep. Um, so we will have a lot of leadership experience one way or another within the parliamentary party. What's your sense from having been in York at the party conference of uh, who's... Uh, Who's likely to win? Uh, I mean, I think in this case, this is one of the situations where the media speculation has been pretty much accurate. Mm -hmm. I was I was all looking forward to writing an angry blog post about how the media didn't understand the Lib Dems, but then having read read several pieces of speculation about the leadership, uh, actually the media coverage is pretty much spot on. I think that it is those three names are in the running. Mm -hmm. Each of them require two MPs to nominate them. So when you sort of do the maths and then assume that Chief Whip and current leader don't nominate anyone, there basically isn't space space right, yeah. for a fourth candidate um, so it looks like it will be those three a lot of people when talking about the leadership contest talk about either Joe or Layla mm-hmm. so I think uh, although Ed probably wouldn't thank me for saying so he's 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 probably not the front runner yeah uh, at the moment and I it's nice to have a token male stand <laughs> and I think um of the between Joe and Layla, I, I would say the sort of the overall sort of view seemed to be uh, at party conference. And bear in mind, party conference is very unusual. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of place where I occasionally get stopped and asked for my autograph. So this is a very, yeah, okay. this is a very unusual group of people in many you're, ways. You're not, I saying that you're not selling this as a I place say, people I mean, who are I mean, normal I, would want to go. I, I, have, <laughs> I have been to many party conferences, so I love the mix of people we get at conference. And, but, and being asked for your autograph. Yeah, exactly. Well. Uh, but... Um, I, I think the general view about people at conference was that Layla has the potential to be the best, but is also the least experienced and therefore yeah. has got the risk of, of so, flopping. Um, she was elected in 2017 uh, in Western yeah. Abingdon, seat I know well, yeah. um, and also has a small majority, which yep. um, in some and, people's minds... And boundary changes. Uh, yeah, which would make the yeah. seat much yeah. less... Well, I was about to say much less safe. It can't get yeah. much less safe than it is already. Yeah. And, and Joe Swinson, by comparison, an MP for, um, it would have been over a decade. Yeah, 2005. Uh, before elected, before yes. Layla was elected. She's also been a minister. Yeah. So she has a lot more experience. Uh, and therefore, in, to, one ex- to some extent, it's slightly more a known quantity. Yeah. Although I think anyone would step up uh, into that role of leader. Uh, but uh, I think the, the, the two questions... The two big questions I suspect a lot, a lot of people will be grappling with is one is, is like with Ed and Joe, having someone who was a former minister good in terms of credibility, experience, ability to cope under pressure, etc. Or is it a drawback because, well, they're a minister in coalition. And then the second big question will be, Layla is much more of a gamble. Do people think the odds of that gamble, you know, the odds of that gamble are good and they want to therefore take that gamble? Um, I so think, therefore, the campaign will probably be quite important because a lot yeah. of those questions will really play out as we see as we see see all three of them perform. Oh, Jonathan Calder, um, a Lib Dem blogger, mm. um, the best Lib Dem blogger, uh, he's the Lib Dem blog father, um, I believe I've called him. He's um, so he he writes. In fact, he's written it before. Um, uh, uh, this sort of uh, categorisation of Lib Dem mm. leadership contests, and he always likens them to. Uh, um, the rerun of the 1976 contest between David Steele and John Pardo, um, who I'm sure regular listeners will, you know, will remember that one, um, which was a year before I was born, in fact. Um, 
and he says, "Are you that um, young?" I oh. am. I know. I know. I, I was the future once. And um, he said, "One candidate, David Steele, was orthodox, sensible, um, and just a little dull. The other, John Pardo, was more charismatic, more open to new ideas, and just a little unreliable in his judgment." And he says that each contest since then has had a kind of Steele versus Pardo. You know, you've got the fairly safe choice versus the risky choice. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that in that definition you would have both Ed Davey and, though she probably wouldn't thank me, Joe Swinson would be on the more kind of um, safe choice side yep. of things because they have the experience and yep. you know they've both been uh, well, a minister in Joe's yep. case, a cabinet yep. minister in Ed's case, and then you've got Layla who is newly minted as an MP to an extent still finding her feet as an MP, but now also potentially standing for the, the leadership as well, but someone who has that kind of Ruth Davidson quality of always being the smiling, positive um, person, exactly, but nonetheless yeah. able to make her points, and of course would be our first ever uh, BAME um, leader as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, lots of kind of... Um, the, 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 the point that Jonathan also makes is he normally votes for the John Pardo choice, and the John Pardo choice normally loses. Yeah. Although Paddy Ashdown versus Alan Beath, Indeed. Uh, I can't remember actually which and I way Jonathan voted. Hume but a particularly charismatic um, uh, person. He, he was, I think, more the... He was the John Pardo... Yeah, I would okay, put him as the okay, Pardo one in anyway, his, his in, the, in, in the 2019 anyway. contest, um, that seems to be the kind of categorisation mm. between whether or not you want to go fairly safe, mm. um, but still almost certainly yeah. female, so Joe Swinson, mm. or take the punt on Leila Moran. And that's why I, I think you're right to say that the leadership contest will be uh, defining for lots of people for whom, um, in terms of what their policies are domestically mm. in particular, and thinking beyond Brexit, mm. if it's ever possible to uh, do so, um, you know what is See, their what you vision? You nearly did that. I know, I know. I just snuck, snuck it in. Um, what's uh, what would a Lib Dem uh, economic policy look like? Would it be as Vince defined it in uh, conferences as quite centrist? I mean, he was explicit saying, look, you know, we believe in free enterprise, but we also believe in government intervention, and it's a judgment call uh, on a case by case basis as to which is the right one. So that's intrinsically centrist. Are they going to stake out that position? What is going to be their view on public services mm. and how they are reforms stroke invested yeah. in? Um, and uh, I don't, I don't have a clear picture of I from either Joe or from um, Layla yet where they would, uh, where they would place themselves yeah. on the party spectrum. I suspect both of the Maned as well will sort of end up probably talking slightly across purposes on those issues mm-hmm. because each of them has got a different strong point to talk about, which does touch on those issues but means they'll each talk about the issues in quite a different way so Layla very much with her interest and expertise in education I think in a sense her economic policy may well be education is the answer Joe with particularly her increasing interest in issues around technology and AI Mm -hmm. see her economic policy may be about the future in that Mm -hmm. sense and Ed with his track record on introducing environmentally friendly policies although also some quite some controversies over some of his views on uh, nuclear power and so on. But you can see how Ed may really major on sort of greening the economy, Joe on modernising the economy, and Layla on educating right. <laughs> the economy. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I suspect they will end up talking a little bit across purposes, yeah. um, in particular because the style of Liberal Democrat leadership contests tends not to be that much direct head-to-head disagreement. Um, Lib Dems are all a little bit po- too polite, and I say too polite because I think it's certainly true, one can say with the advantage of hindsight, that if there'd been actually a little bit more direct head-to-head confrontation between Norman and Tim in the 2015 mm-hmm. leadership contest over some of the things they disagreed with and some of their own personal views and so on, that probably would have been all for the better. 
Um, and yeah. you know, Tim may well have still won, but I think certainly had Tim been put on the spot much more about his political philosophy and his theological views in 2015, he would, I think, still probably have won, but also then turned out to be a more successful leader because there was a there was a set of issues that yeah, yeah. he would Maybe. have benefited I mean, I, from being forced to address sooner. You may be right, uh, except that I, th- I know that it was something that uh, Tim Farron's campaign knew was a weak mm. spot and so thought they had addressed. And what particularly tripped him up was that very specific question about gay sex because his mm. manifesto had made clear that yeah. he supported LGBT plus LGBT B plus um, issues very strongly mm. and have put forward yeah. new reforms. So I think he felt that had been covered off, but then he got tripped up by the very yeah. specific and, question. And and but the reason I think he got tripped up by that specific question later, which was I can't the imagine style. Norman Lamb have actually would have asked him on a hustings. No, Do you but think but but, but if it? if the culture in the party was of was of holding candidates to a slightly more rigorous set of tests maybe, in internal contests, actually. Several people would have asked yeah. him that question, and you know, think, or indeed, if we had a format of hustings, which is in, more yeah, uh, I think that's interviewer thing. in discussion yeah. with, that would have been one of the questions, yeah, yeah. etc. So yeah. I guess that would be just as we sort of look to wrap up the show. This There's show. Just one thing I wanted to uh, bring us back to is it Brexit, which isn't. Brexit. I'm hovering over the stop button. Yeah, it's just there, ready to <laughs> mm. uh, edit this out. Uh, is the uh, question of the relationship with the independent group? Mm. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. Because that I suspect will come up mm. uh, every hustings, and Very I imagine point. that the uh, all the all three, assuming it's three leadership contenders, will say some variation on let's be constructive and talk to them, but let's also retain yeah. our vision and stake so out I, our integrity. Um, so I don't know how much of an issue it will be in the leadership. I context. I think they might vary quite a lot on that actually, okay. because um, of the three. Joe has been the most prominent about publicly engaging with yeah, the independent group. She shared a platform, with exactly, and so on. Layla's background, in terms of partly how she won Oxford, Western Abingdon, was a sort of progressive alliance in miniature in her mm-hmm. seat. So she has been quite forthright about the benefits of cooperating across party boundaries, but in a different way from Joe, because her emphasis is slightly more on sort of, uh, a broader sort of drawing the net almost slightly more broadly, Mm -hmm. in particular cooperating closely with the Greens, in her case, in her seat, whilst Ed, I think, has been the most quiet, for which probably we read sceptical, of the three. So so on that one, there may well be an interesting... That's the one, I think, on where if we... Even if you get a relatively anodyne question asked at Hustings, I can imagine hearing quite different answers from all three of them. Okay. well, we shall look forward Mm. to finding out whether that that transpires Mm. in reality. And it uh, just remains for me to say thank you very much for listening. Please do subscribe uh, so future editions of this podcast will automatically pop up on your device. Think of it as a birthday present for me. And uh, double double Stephen's birthday present by posting a rating or a review. It's, as I mentioned before, a little bit unclear really when you delve into it whether that helps more people hear the podcast, but it definitely makes the podcast presenters feel happier. It's like asking Mark for his autograph at conference. <laughs>